0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 8 this morning. We're going to dive into God's Word. So glad you are here. Happy spring break. The fresh snowfall. It's awesome. Let's pray as we open up God's Word. God, you are so much fun. It's fun to serve you. It doesn't necessarily mean everything is just going to go peachy and um, totally all right all the time, but God, we know that there's a goodness and a joy that's found in the richness of relationship with you daily. We're so thankful for that, God, and thankful that we can live in community with others. And I believe it's in this context, Lord, that you speak to us in a unique way. Lord, you speak to us in the secret place, individually. But God, you also speak to us in the context of community. We see a different perspective. We see a different angle on things. Our rough edges are rubbed off when we're around others that sharpen us and challenge us in different ways. And so, God, I pray your presence would be here in these next few moments in such a way that you do a significant work in our hearts. Lord, that we'd grow in Christ-likeness, that we'd grow into maturity that we would fall deeper in love with you, Jesus. In your name, amen. So as Joseph said earlier, uh, we've started a series a couple weeks ago called Wonder. And our prayer is that every single one of us would grow in wonder of who God is. Boredom and Christianity are incompatible. We've been doing it through, we've been studying this, this topic of wonder through the Psalms of David. King David who had all pleasures and delight at his fingertips. He had riches and influence. And yet he defined his one desire in Psalm 27 verse four, his one desire was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He's like, I could have it all. I could go anywhere and have any experience. But he said the one place I want to be is in the presence of the Lord. I just want to be with God. Something caught his eye in God. And he was, he was captivated, he was captured by the wonder of God. And that's my prayer for every single one of us, that every day we would be captured by the wonder of God. And so this morning I wanna share a message with you called Childlike Wonder, Childlike Wonder. I have the honor this morning of recognizing my parents. My parents have made it here for a spring break. My parents are Dean and Bonnie, they're right there. They're not gonna raise their hands because they're stubborn, but they are, they are here. You can meet them afterwards. They come come all the way from North Dakota. They brought the snow with them. And um, them coming this week, it reminded me of a season of my life where my parents built a new home in my hometown of Fargo, North Dakota. They built a new home. And I remember moving into this home and the smell of a new home. It's the smell of new carpet, of new paint on the walls. Everything is fresh. Everything is new. It's very similar if you've ever driven a new car. There's that... Fresh, new car, new house smell. But what happens after people just dwell in a house for months or years? It's just the common stuff of life kind of squelches any of that freshness, the newness. And every home takes on its own unique smell, right? But it's not a new house smell anymore. And that happened in our house as well. I believe there's something that can seep into our hearts, a lie that we can be tempted to believe in our walks with Christ. That the freshness, the newness of life that we experience in Christ on the outset will somehow just kind of fizzle out and fade away into the oblivion. As though it's just something of yesteryear, something fresh I experienced in a season in Christ, and now it's just the commons drudgery of following Christ. I don't believe it has to be that way. I really don't believe it at all. I want to speak about a topic that I believe Christ emulated in his life, and he spoke a number of times about which is childlike wonder, the humility of a child to be captured by something bigger than themselves. Jesus references in Mark chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. He said, Let the the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. So he said both entrance into the kingdom, and the inheritance of the kingdom belongs to those that are, are like a child. They don't have to have the age of a child, but they need to emulate certain attributes of a child. I'm not saying that you, you need to stay in immaturity. No, Christ's will for your life, is best for your life, is for you, for you to grow into maturity in the kingdom of God. There's a growth, a progression, a sanctifying, a, a, a growth in Christ's likeness, but There is something that we should foster and maintain in our walks with Christ, which is childlike humility, simplicity, and ability to trust a good Father with all of ourselves every single day. It's this life of abandonment. And that's childlikeness. That's a fun way to live. And Jesus said that's the entrance into the kingdom of God, that type of simple trust, simple faith to believe. That's the entrance into the kingdom, and it's, it's the, the way the, of, of inheritance in the kingdom of God. He said, to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. You can think of, compare or contrast, I guess, childlikeness to the religious leaders that Jesus often confronted. When, when Jesus saw a child, he said, come, come up to me. Come to, sit up on my lap. I want you to be an example for everyone else. Of those that really carry and are able to enter readily into the kingdom of God. Contrast that with the religious leaders who had convinced themselves that they had it all figured out. They had God in their little box, they all had their little parties, their, their sects. You know, there was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the scribes. They all fit into their certain little camps and, and they had put God in their boxes. Contrast that with these, these, these children. They just recognized the authority and the kindness and the goodness of Jesus, and they were, they were able to humbly come to Jesus and receive all that He had for them. I believe there's much in, chi- in children that God is calling us to emulate. So here's our main idea for this morning. is our view of God's greatness can determine how close we come to Him. Our view of God's greatness, his vastness, his majesty, his beauty will determine how close we come to him. God is holy. He is set apart. We've already declared that in this service. And if you catch a glimpse of it, I believe what will happen, if you really see Jesus in a moment for who he is, you'll be mesmerized. It's like a a bug being drawn to the light. You just can't help but be drawn into who he is, his goodness. The counterpoint is this. Our view of our own greatness can actually keep us from God. And what happens many times in our lives, as we live our lives, we can begin to feel like we're figuring things out, how we're getting our feet under us. We're making a living. We're making a way. We're, we've, we've reached a rhythm. We have a moment, momentum in our lives, and we can begin to exalt ourselves and diminish the, the might and the greatness of God. That is the great trap of, of longevity in our walks in this life. Is we can ex- we can exalt ourselves, and the, the greatness of God gets diminished. The great challenge before us is to continually foster this childlike humility, this childlike wonder that exalts God continually. If we can grow in self confidence and an identity in Christ. But at the end of the the day, it's all born out of a complete uh, abandonment and uh, awe and wonder of God and his greatness. And so I want to paint a picture for you this morning. There's a picture back there uh, you can throw up from a vacation last summer. This is a a picture we took of our two oldest kids, Bryce and Lucy, in front of the, the jaws of death. And so they nestled up there, and we took a picture of them. We didn't notice until afterwards that our three-year-old had wandered beyond the guardrail. <laughs> she was mesmerized by the greatness and the sheer power and scale of these, of these uh, shark jaws. I don't even know if they were real. And granted, the, the guardrails were partly to keep people away from touching the, the jaws of death, but she was mesmerized by their power. The potential danger of what lied beyond this guardrail did not even come into her mind. She had wandered beyond it. She was mesmerized. And it's that image of my daughter Addison that I want you to have etched into your mind this morning. Because I feel like that's the the childlikeness that draws us into God. It's this being mesmerized by the beauty and the wonder of the sheer power and might and glory of God. It's available to us. It's been revealed to us. It's the heart of God to reveal himself to you. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Let's read here in Psalm 8. Psalm 8, says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And as David often does in his psalms, he ends how he begins. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The majesty of God is not something that's talked about very often in the church. But I want us to go there this morning. He says, O Lord, our Lord, which when we translate that from Hebrew into English, it sounds like he's just repeating himself. O Lord, O Lord, Lord. But he's saying, oh, Yahweh, our ruler, our master. He's calling God by his name. He's saying, oh, Yahweh, this revered name, all, all, who's sovereign over all, how majestic is your name. His name is full of majesty. What is majesty? Majesty often refers to things that are beautiful and full of splendor. On the ocean. I think it's helpful to, to think a great idea or a way for you to put yourself in the, the feeling of majesty. You can read about the ocean and its scale, its size, its power in a book. You can read about it. You can look it up on Wikipedia. You can watch a video on YouTube. But when you get there, the sound of the roaring waves, the implications of its size and its magnitude, it kind of takes your breath away. And same with a mountainscape. I'm talking about real mountains, like the Rocky Mountains, not the Appalachians. I'm talking about something. I remember when we moved to uh, Seattle, and we saw Mount Rainier for the first time. The highest point in the lower 48. And, and the, the sheer scale and size of it just seemed unreal. Like literally, it looked like a painting in the sky. It was so far above all the surrounding landscape. It takes your breath away. Currently, there's 17 of our Iowa State students um, in, in the nation of Trinidad on a spring break missions trip taking the gospel home to home, which I encourage you to pray for them this week as, as they're on the streets sharing the gospel with people in that amazing nation, and a year ago, we took a spring break trip to Vegas, to Las Vegas, Nevada. So we were making the road trip across the United States from Iowa, through Nebraska, into Colorado, and, and, and on. And as we made it into Colorado, sitting shotgun with me was a kid, a student from New Jersey, just a few miles away from New York City. This kid had never been any further than Iowa, or any further west than Iowa, and so I remember when we came, when we caught a glimpse of the Rocky Mountains, this kid named Kevin, he, he just couldn't believe it. It was unreal. He made us pull over to the side of the road so we could stop and just take it in for a moment. It's captivating. It just, it makes your, your mind real as to their magnitude, their splendor, and their beauty. Are you guys with me? That's majesty. And all that pales in comparison to what David is referring to here. His name is majestic above all other things in the universe. His name is full of majesty. And then he says, "Actually, sorry, I do want. I want to read a quote from one of my favorite authors." A.W. Tozer says, with our loss of sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. When we lose sight of God's beauty and his majesty, it's almost as though he's not real anymore. We, we, We lose sense of his reality in our comings and our goings. We've lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. We can't help but be drawn into worship, awe, and wonder when we're mesmerized by the beauty and the majesty of God. And as I was considering that this week, I recall the passage at the end of the story, which I want you to know that we are in the midst of this story. This is a historical book, but it's not yet over. You guys know that? We're still in the midst of God's redemptive story, and so much of this has not yet happened. In Revelation chapter 20, it tells of the end of the age. In Revelation chapter 20, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. I read that this week, and something stuck out to me that I had never really picked up on which is the fact that it says the earth and the sky, they fled away. There's coming a a revealing of the glory of God that surpasses what we can even comprehend, that this material world cannot even be in the same proximity of the glory and the majesty of God. You can just take a moment for your mind to be blown. The material world fleeing away, it says there's no space, no place for them. It's the glory, the majesty, the power, the might, the greatness of God. Oh, that our hearts would be captured by the greatness of God. That we would have, we'd catch a glimpse of it and we would be drawn in like my daughter Addison. He says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, he's established his strength. Because of, of your foes, to still the enemy, the avenger, God is able to use even a helpless child. And obviously he did that 2,000 years ago when he came in the form of a baby. He establishes strength through a baby. But David actually takes it beyond just the helpless weakness of a baby. He says through the mouths of babies and infants. In their unintelligible, inarticulate syllables, God is able to establish his strength through babies and infants. He doesn't need us. It's important for us to r- r- remind ourselves of that reality. God is not in need of anybody or in need of anyone. And that goes for me. That goes for you. God could use an inarticulate, in- unintelligible child, a baby, and use him for any of his purposes, any of his works. That is the power and the, the greatness of God. Kids, I think, This is why I want us to foster child likeness. Kids just have this ability to recognize strength. Their minds move at a a very fast pace and they just recognize strength. I was reminded this week of growing up around my grandpa. My grandpa lived to the age of 92. He was a very strong German man. He lived 70 years of his life with a wood leg from a construction accident. And when he would walk around the house, it was just the walk of strength, as he would walk around with his wood leg. And I remember grabbing his hand at different moments, and his hand was just unreal how big it was. Big, chubby hands, and he was not a chubby man, but his hands were just so strong. I remember as a child recognizing the strength of my grandpa. I believe children can more readily recognize the strength of those around them. And we should recognize the strength of God but something can seep into our own lives as we begin to believe in our own strength. We believe, I got this. Convince ourselves, yeah, hey, I got this figured out. I, I'm, I'm something. I'm pretty talented. I'm pretty awesome. And our view of ourselves gets exalted. Our view of God gets lowered. Oh, that we'd get lost in the greatness of God. But the greatness of God is taken even far further When David says, what is is man that you're mindful of him? This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the great God, the God who's not dependent on anybody or anyone, would actually be mindful of us, that he'd see you, and that he would know you, and he know the number of hairs on your head. He'd know the thoughts in your mind, the, the, the fears that you face. He'd know it all, and he'd be mindful of you. That he'd reach across the chasm, and he would pursue relationship with you. It's the good news of the gospel—the fact that God Almighty, Sovereign God, would be mindful of you and me. Surpasses what we can understand, but there's a hierarchy of creation, and God set humanity above the rest of creation. Here's the good news: God created you and I in His image. That's our intended design. He created us to bear the image of God. Me and you, we're supposed to reflect the glory of God, the wonder. We're supposed to reflect his kingdom and and attributes of who he is. But something went horribly wrong. We destroyed that image by choosing right and wrong for ourselves. We chose sin. Every one of us did. Uh, Romans chapter 3 says, we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've destroyed the image of God. But what did God do? Did he he abort the entire thing? No, instead he he made a, a way to redeem humanity. For the image of God to be restored in us. And now relationship with God becomes the new norm. You and I can walk in relationship with God. Not only can we begin to reflect God in certain attributes, but we can also have relationship with him. That is the good news of Jesus the fact that god was mindful of us god god was mindful of us god of glory god of greatness god really wants you to discover his greatness he came to earth to display in authority and power his greatness he wants you to discover and in, in Matthew chapter 13 he said to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven he was he was explaining this to ones who were wondering why he spoke in parables. Why did he talk in illustrations and, and, and made up stories? He says, I, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Everyone heard the parables, but only some understood, only some who had the childlike humility to actually, in space in their lives, capacity in their lives to hear the words that were coming out of his mouth and the implications in their lives. God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. That's why when our view of our own greatness gets exalted, to its unrightful place, there's this opposition, this obstacle that rises up that actually keeps us from God. But when we foster and maintain childlike humility and wonder, we're drawn into the presence of God. God gives us grace. He gives us more abundant grace. He's like, there's more. You you have some, I'm going to give you more. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever it draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's the way of the kingdom. That if we set our hearts to, to seek after him, he will reveal himself to us. And finally, the church, you and I, together, this community here in Ames, Iowa, we are an answer to Revealing the glory of God in this city. We are. God reveals His greatness, His glory, His wonder to the world around us through the church. That's part of our role. You and I individually can reflect the glory of God, but together we reflect the glory of God even more so. This is what G. Campbell Morgan said He said, The Christian church exists to reveal God and to utter forth His praise. To make God known to men who know Him not, then the presence of the revelation that may be filled with awe and wonder and amazement. To make God known, that God shall be attractive to humanity. And G Campbell Morgan experienced amazing things in his day, and he's saying that's why we exist as a church is to reveal God to humanity. And the attraction that he's talking about is not an attraction of gimmicks. We have to give away an iPad every time we meet or something, and maybe some more people will come. He's saying there is this sense of awe and wonder of God that peop- that's, that's rare, that people, it catches their eye. They're like, there is something different about these people. These people have actually experienced something. These people are carrying something that I've never witnessed before. Whatever they have, I want it. I often describe that of my own testimony. That as I watched what my dad had in the substance of his faith, I was like, I want what he has. I saw what others were doing, what my siblings were doing. I was like, I don't want what they have. I want what my dad has. And that's what the church can do together. We can represent God. That's why we say around here we want to live the message of Jesus. We want to demonstrate the message of Jesus in our city. It's possible. So very quickly, here's three ways in which I want us to foster childlikeness. These are three aspects of childlikeness that I'm praying we will never lose. And it's God's will for your life that you'll never lose these three aspects of childlikeness. Firstly is childlike curiosity. You do not have to ask a kid to ask questions. You know, like, hey, give me your best child. What are your best questions? No, kids are genuinely unsolicited. They are curious beings. And they're not asking questions to get a foot up on you. They, are, they genuinely love to learn and figure out things about this world. They just have a love for learning. And that's available in Christ. It's not so you can figure out and fine tune the inner workings of your doctrine, or your 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 systematic theology. That stuff is fine. Thoughtfulness in our intellectual pursuits is fine, but I'm saying in relationship with God, he just wants you to get lost in a genuine curiosity of who he is. And you can see that in David. David, this is who had all the scholars, he had access, I'm sure, to all the the great libraries of his day, but he could just get lost in wonder of God. And I love even in this passage in Psalm 8 that he asks God a question. I think that's a great way to just be curious, like childlike in your relationship with God is ask him a question. What is man that you are mindful of him, God? What? God in your greatness? And yet you would say you're going to bestow upon me honor and glory. What is man that you are mindful of him? In Psalm 17, he says, wondrously show your steadfast love. That's his prayer to the Lord. I just want to get lost in your love, God. I shall behold your face in righteousness. In Psalm 25, he says, lead me in truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. He was never in a hurry. In Psalm 37, he says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This patient curiosity to wait on the Lord and wonder at the glory and the beauty of who God is. Secondly, childlike playfulness. When, when kids play, they almost lose a sense of time. When they are in the zone of playing a game or playing a video game or playing a sport, it's like time is irrelevant. And that's possible in our relationships with God. We're not looking at the clock, we're not checking a list or checking a box, but instead we're just lost in this playful relationship, interaction with who God is. You see that in David's life in 2 Samuel chapter 6 when he's finally able to bring the ark to the city of Jerusalem where he felt like that was the, that was the place where the, the centrality of the presence of God really, it, it should be there. And as they were leading the, the ark into the city gates, David was just dancing before the Lord and in that moment, David didn't care about his title, his position, the proprieties of being king. He tore off his kingly garments, and he was found in the garments of common men. And his wife, McCall, was like appalled at the sight. Well, this is, this is, this is a, an insult to your position. He didn't care. He's like, I'm just getting started, okay? I'm just going to get lost in this worship of God and his presence. That's childlike playfulness. You can have fun with God. It's alright to smile sometimes. I don't know what happens as we, as we get older. We just smile less, but it's really good to smile with the Lord. And thirdly, childlike creativity. There's a reason that David wrote over 70 of the Psalms, 70 of the 150 Psalms, is because out of true encounter comes an expression of creativity. And and David, he experienced something in God, and it was real, and it had to be expressed. And for him, it was psalms and songs that just flowed out of his soul, out of genuine experience. And I believe in the arts. I believe in science and innovation. All those things are an expression of genuine encounter with God. Throughout many generations, the church capital c has led the way in creativity and innovation and science and i believe the same is the tr- is true for us today same is true for life point church we can lead the way in creat- creativity as we encounter god he's going to set loose in you some expression of who he is it's what he says in verse 5 that he's crowned us with glory and honor So when we say our view of our own greatness keeps us from God, it's not that we need to be putting ourselves down all the time. It's that our greatness is rooted in Christ and what he's done. Our greatness is rooted in his greatness. So we don't have to falsely build ourselves up. You can understand that he's crowned you with glory and honor and that's just sheer grace and good news. And out of that experience comes this expression of creativity. There's a reason David played the harp just so effortlessly. He would just get lost in it. He's like, I gotta express this somehow. I started playing guitar actually when I was 13. And honestly, I never played my guitar publicly for five years until I was 18. Because I just, I just loved to play guitar in my room and worship, that's the only reason I learned to play guitar was to worship. And I believe that's possible for you. It may not be something that's ever even seen by others, but you can just express your heart to the Lord. And it can be just extravagant and creative doesn't need to be for a show or performance. God loves that. So I want us to respond to the Lord this morning. God's getting our attention. He wants you to be mesmerized like my daughter Addison. You don't have to be three years old to be mesmerized like she was. God wants you to be mesmerized by his wonder and his glory and his beauty and his splendor, by his majesty. He's there. He's getting your attention this morning. If everyone would just bow their heads and close their eyes, I want us to respond. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about Life Point Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.